on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. You ever sped? You ever gone a little over the speed limit, not gotten caught, gotten home, and just said, whew, well, glad that worked out. Have you ever done anything for that matter that you're technically not supposed to be doing, but you think to yourself, it'll just work itself out? Well, if it works itself out, it's all well and good. The playoff committee does that. And normally it works itself out, but guess what? They got caught with their pants down, proverbially this time around. Because it didn't work itself out. They did something you're not supposed to do. It's not the thing you think they did, but it's something that they started doing weeks ago that they weren't supposed to do. And that was the crux of a lot of the angst and anger and bitterness that is surrounding and, dare I say, drowning our sport on this lovely Sunday evening. Because otherwise, it's nice here in Nashville. We're jam-packed high atop a very anxiety-ridden downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Late Kick Live Sunday, December 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2023. We were in Atlanta last night, right there on the field to witness it all. Alabama over Georgia. We were in Las Vegas the night before to witness it all. Washington over Oregon. I got some things to say about Washington later in the show. And then I was in Nashville this morning watching with the rest of you as the college football playoff rankings were unveiled. Do I have thoughts, you may wonder, if you're watching the show. Otherwise, you probably don't care what I think. Yeah, I got several of them. I got a full takeaway on Bama, Georgia yesterday because I don't want all the the playoff talk to sort of cloud the fact that we saw a really big game and a really surprising outcome for some of you go down last night in Atlanta. I got to say some things about Washington. I got a viewer question about Texas that I want to get to. Ironically, they're going to play each other in one of the semifinal games. SEC bias is something I want to talk about on the show tonight, probably on the back end, Uh, but it's a term that we've heard before. It's not unique to this year. Uh, It's something that a lot of people are throwing around. The iJosh, the the battery is suffering greatly today because everyone who has my number has sent me their thoughts on the playoff and has sent their thoughts on who got screwed, who should be in, who should be out, and why things are happening. If anything happened that you don't agree with, it's because something's wrong with the system. It can't be that reasonable minds disagree on things. So anyway, as you can tell, 
jam-packed show. And if I talk a little bit faster than normal tonight, it's just because we're largely surviving on a 50-50 mixture of oxygen and caffeine at this point. I am so sleep-deprived, which we'll fix tomorrow, but I am so sleep-deprived that we actually have coffee on the set. And you guys know that stuff nearly blinded me a year and a half ago. So drastic measures have been taken tonight, but we do have a jam-packed show. They're watching us in San Antonio, Texas, Birmingham, Alabama, Lexington, North Carolina, and Sioux City, Iowa. I had the most awesome time traveling over the past couple of days. I don't have time for story time with JP tonight. But if you're not following over on Instagram, you missed so much documentation of behind the scenes at the Pac-12 championship game, the flight to Atlanta. Atlanta yesterday was on fire. I mean, one of the top three environments I've ever witnessed a college football game in. And so at Lake Kick Josh is where you need to be following. Oh, also, by the way, the Ramen Noodle Express went undefeated yesterday to close the season. Seventh straight year. The model has profited us. Seventh straight year, the same model that spits out the JP poll that everyone wants to hate on and say is flawed and broken. Seventh straight year, the thing's made money. Have you made money seven years in a row betting this sport? Do you have your own model that is profiting you seven straight years? Maybe you do. If you do, I'd love to talk to you. I would love to hang out with you and probably collaborate with you. But that's for tomorrow. Let's talk about it, friends. College football playoff set. We've got a one through four now. There's no more speculation or debate. It is fact. And it's fact that Michigan's our number one seed. It is fact that we're going to see down in New Orleans, Washington as the two seed, play Texas as the three seed, and we go out to Pasadena where it's Alabama in the four seed and not FSU and not Georgia and not Ohio State or anyone else. I'm stunned by uh, several things that I've seen and heard today. Uh, but the most stunning thing that happened in this entire selection process, the buildup for, for weeks now, the buildup and then today the culmination was it didn't sort itself out. It's the first time I've ever seen that in the college football playoff era. I admitted to you last week that that was really the first time I had dug into any resume. It was the, it was, it was the first time I dug into any resume. It was the first time I had looked at most of the stuff that a lot of you who are fans of this look at every week. It's not because I didn't care. It's just because I've learned that the stuff is going to sort itself out and come Selection Sunday, you won't have a mess on your hands like you think you're going to around Halloween or the second week in November. It didn't sort itself out. It sure didn't. Now, because of that, I think the committee stepped in it big time. But I'm not talking about who they put in the four seed. I'll talk about that in a second. The committee stepped in it because I firmly believe they had baked their assumptions and they had baked their expectations into their rankings. Case in point, Oregon went into last weekend ranked above Texas and ranked above Alabama. Oregon should not have been ranked above either of those if you went on pure resume. You will never convince me that that committee ranked Oregon above those two teams just based on resume. What I believe is that that committee, whether consciously or subconsciously, had already started to think to themselves, Oregon's better than Washington. Oregon's going to beat Washington. So they started treating them accordingly. Conversely, they may have thought, Bama's going to be an underdog to Georgia. And so they treated Alabama accordingly. The resumes alone would have had that thing totally inverted. Well, as is usually the case, you've got this stuff, and then you have real football, real life. And sometimes the results don't match your expectations. And when it happens and the committee 
is already baking that sort of thing in, oh, you open yourself up to all sorts of things that have never happened before that could happen. Why? Because you changed your protocols. Anytime you change the protocol or the modus operandi for any system or anything, you're bound to get some unprecedented results. Think about this. If you don't think what I'm saying is true, and if you don't think that my warning to you last week was true, when I told you Bill Hancock had set in motion something that was dangerous, think about this. Let me remind you what I'm talking about there. Hancock goes on the record last week, executive director of the playoff committee, and, and voluntarily just says, oh, we don't care about most deserving. No, in fact, his words were, most deserving is not a phrase in our lexicon. We care about putting the best teams in. Now, that's BS. I told you that then. I'm going to tell you that now. Again, it flies in the face of what they've actually done in years past. As recently as last year, they didn't put the four best teams in. Okay, so that's not been what they've actually done. But when he said that last week, you may have noticed I made a really big deal about it on the show because I knew what was coming, or I thought I had a pretty good idea of what they were doing. They were positioning for a just-in-case. And the just-in-case happened. And that just-in-case was Georgia doesn't win the SEC, and Bama does, and we understand what we have on our hands. And if we got to go Bama against an undefeated Florida State head-to-head, we need to make sure that we're on the record. We need to make sure we dust off this little bullet point over here, which says that we're in the business of putting the best teams in. Well, that's not the way they've done things. And also, they haven't always baked in their expectations to their rankings. And they did this year. And that's why Bama was all the way down at the eight spot. And Oregon was all the way up in the number six spot, even though Bama's resume was better than Oregon's. If you don't think what I'm saying is true, and you think it was just business standard as usual, tell me this. What happened yesterday? What chaotic thing happened yesterday on the field? Nothing. Uh, Washington, as an underdog, beat Oregon Friday night, but that didn't change anything. The net result was you got a Pac-12 team in, which you already thought you'd get. Michigan won in the least chaotic way imaginable. Texas won in the least chaotic way imaginable. You had an upset on the field in Atlanta, and all that should have meant, maybe at the most, was a different SEC team goes other than Georgia. The favorite won the ACC championship game. So what craziness happened? The answer is no craziness happened. And yet we had three things happen today that have never happened before. You had two teams that were ranked below number six jump into the playoff. We've never had one of them do that before. We had two of them do that today in the final rankings. You had an undefeated Power Five conference champ left out. You've never had it before. You had number one fall all the way out of the top four. You've never had it happen on Selection Sunday. And yet all three of them happened. You don't believe me when I tell you their protocols changed and their mode of operation changed? Explain that to me. So that's the first thing. The second thing is they dropped Florida State to five, despite the fact that they won their conference and they're undefeated and they're a Power Five conference champ. Uh, there was no right path here. There was no right path. I thought you could see that coming from a mile away, that if we kept training headlong towards this cliff and no one hit the brakes, or in this case, no one lost, we were going to have a mess on our hands. I've heard Mike Norvell's statement on this. I've heard Jordan Travis's statement on this. I've heard Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, statement on this. None of them are wrong. None of them are wrong. And yet I think the committee made the right decision. Now, I'm the one who sat here a couple of weeks ago and told you, if Florida State goes undefeated, you can't leave them out. And I still feel that way. 
So how could I possibly think that the committee made the right decision or the correct decision? I want to word this very purposefully. How can I feel the committee made the correct decision if I also feel like Florida State should have been in? The answer is there's no right decision. There is no right path. There were, there were a couple of wrong paths here. And that's why I'm merely saying I thought they made the correct decision. Now, here's what I don't care about. Now, I want to really peel back the layers slowly here. I don't care that there's never been an undefeated Power 5 champ left out. Okay, that's, that's not criteria. Like, that's not a, a data point per se. That's just a thing. That's just a bullet point on a one sheet that they hand you before you go on air so you'll sound intelligent when you're talking. It, it, it's just because no set of circumstances unique enough has presented itself. And by the way, we're not 100 years into this thing. So when you tell me so-and-so or such a thing has never happened and we're only talking about something 10 years old, I don't care. It's like, um, like Uncle Bruce has never come to family reunion. Well, we've had three of them. So it's not like that's some long-held trend or long-standing trend. I, I will grant you the point that it's unprecedented. I never cared about that. What I cared about is, should Florida State be in or not? So I'm, I'm watching along with the rest of you last night. I stood on the field for the SEC championship game. I watched Florida State's game afterwards. It's very clear there's a different caliber of football being played. However, I am fully on board with anyone who tells me results on the field should matter. You know I fight for that all the time. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a second because that's an argument a lot of people are making, and I'll, I'll give you my two cents on it. I have I've thought about it a lot, obviously, and I... Um, I am of the opinion that I don't like when a committee of people starts to think that they know the value of a football player. And that's what happened here with Jordan Travis. And no one's even pretending that isn't what happened. The chair of the playoff committee said, hey, they're a different team without Jordan Travis, which translates to had they had their quarterback healthy or had they just lied about his status and pretended he'd be back for the playoff, you're probably in the playoff. That, that's true. No one's, no one's debating that. I told you when this happened. I wasn't interested in hearing anyone uh, assignate value on Jordan Travis because you don't know what he's worth. No one does. Secondly, I think it should be noted, Florida State did not duck competition this year. They scheduled LSU at the beginning of the season, and they beat them. They go, they go to or they play against Florida every year, and they beat them. Uh, they had to go on the road to Clemson in a conference game. They beat them. And so they went wire to wire undefeated. I, I know as much as I can know how hard that is. So every complaint I heard from FSU folks, I just sat there in silence because you're right about it all. You got screwed. You got screwed. Had Bama been left out, they would also have been screwed. There was no right decision here. No right way to go. I think, you know, what's crazy is um, Michigan was able to completely dodge even the slightest whiff of anyone suggesting they should be out because of the off the field stuff. Uh, this this fall. And I, don't, I didn't traffic in it. Like, I think Michigan should be in. I'm just saying, when all this stuff got thrown into the tumbler, there were people that were talking about whether Texas should be in. There were obviously people talking about whether Bama should be in, Georgia should be in, FSU should be in. And no one, to my knowledge, maybe a few on the fringe, but largely no one, to my knowledge, talked about Michigan. I, like many of you, had mixed reactions and mixed emotions about this because I could easily sit here if I wanted to and present the argument for Florida State. I could present the argument for Alabama. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, if I have a ballot, 
those are the teams I'm putting in, and they put them in in the order I would put them in. So let's go through the reactions to that. The first reaction that's been real common today is, oh, this thing's rigged, man. This thing's rigged. Well, it's not. I don't believe that. Oh, it's, it's a made-for-TV spectacle. Well, it is made-for-TV. It is made-for-TV. But the allegation that oh, this is just WWE on grass. <laughs> why, why should we even bother competing? This stuff's all rigged. It's not. It's not. And I'll tell you why I think that that's largely a pinata of an argument that you can beat down pretty easily. I agree with the rankings. I think they got the proper four in. I don't, own, I don't own a TV network. I don't work for ESPN. CBS doesn't even have the rights to these games. So how do I hold that logic? Am I just completely like out in left field? Or could it be, and hear me out now, could it be that you have your feelings, I have my feelings, we differ, but both are grounded in some pretty sound logic and it just had to go A or B and it ended up going A and you happen to be B in this path. Could it be that? It's not rigged. If it is, then explain to me how, how in the world a, a completely reasonable person could agree with the outcome who has no vested interest in it. Like I have no, I have no interest financially or otherwise in the outcome of this. I'd love to see good games, but even I've told you I'm not owed that like in the past. Last year, last year, some people wanted to keep TCU out of the playoff because they rightly suggested TCU is going to end up getting blown out and it's going to be a boring TV product. I thought they were right in their assumption, but they were wrong in their logic. That's not the reason you keep a team out. You keep a team out if you think there's someone who deserves to go more. It's not Burger King. You don't get to pull up an order from the value menu. And, and put together a perfect combination of things you want. It's not an on-demand playoff, in other words. And I don't think that's the way it's structured. I truly don't. You can disagree with me on that, but I truly don't. Because I agree with what the committee did. I'm not in on it, as far as I know. The second thing, overwhelmingly, the second thing, uh, and an argument that a lot of people are making right now is, well, if this is the outcome we're going to get, if a Power 5 conference champ went undefeated and they got left out, why even play the games? No one guaranteed you that just because you play the games, it'll be controversy-free at the end of the day. And secondly, they played a game in Atlanta last night, too. Like, a lot of teams played a lot of games. It's all baked into the cake. And thirdly, competition did matter. I'll tell you why you play the games, to get the outcome on the field. To get the outcome. Like, they played a game at Jordan-Hare Stadium last week, and Bama ends up miraculously beating Auburn. If they don't convert, then... That game matters, and Florida State's probably in the playoff. Uh, th the point is, the outcomes during the competitively based games are all baked into the equation. No one guaranteed you just because you play games, it'll mean at the end of the day, well, dust is settled, and it's as clear as day who should be in. No, that's not the way it's always going to work. In fact, it's pretty shocking to me. It's worked out as cleanly as it has for as long as it has. We had not had a situation like this. We, we have never had a situation like this in 10 years. Um, so why play the games? Because if Alabama had lost another one, they wouldn't be in here. If Florida State had lost a game, they wouldn't have even been in the conversation. Uh, I could say this about if, if Kansas State would have beaten Texas Tech in that down-to-the-wire game, Florida State would be taking Texas's place maybe right now. Or we'd be having the argument about whether Bama and their head-to-head -head loss against Texas matters if Texas got one more loss than them. The outcomes did matter. It's just that... 
the fact that you went undefeated wasn't the end all be all because of the unique set of circumstances around you. There's another pretty widely held assumption right now in that this is a dangerous precedent for the playoff committee to set. Well, I'd agree with you guys, actually, because I do not like the reasoning why Florida State was left out. Don't like it. Hate it, actually. Strong word, but I hate it. I hate a committee, or I hate any person telling me, no, I, I know the point value of this football player, and I know, therefore, how good this team is now, and if you remove him, they're, they're not good enough. I don't like that. If they lose on the field, I'll accept it, but otherwise, I don't like that. However, they're not setting any precedent. It doesn't matter. So, like, school's out tomorrow. It doesn't matter if you misbehave today. They're not putting you in detention. Summer break starts tomorrow. And in college football, it's the last year of a four-teamer. There will never be an argument moving forward, I don't care what you tell me, that is this heated, because in the future, I'll be able to look you in the eye and say, number one, I'm not about to listen to you threaten to boycott a sport because you got denied the 13 seed or the 12 seed or the 11 seed. Because in the future... I'll be able to look at any resume of any team that thinks they got screwed out of one of the last seats at the table, and it'll have multiple flaws on it. The hardest part about this is there's no flaw on FSU's resume. Every other time someone got screwed or thought they got screwed, you could look at them. If Bama got left out this year, you could say to them, you should have beaten Texas. Now, that's a, that's a stiff standard, but you could say, you guys should have beaten Texas. What are you going to say to Florida State? Your quarterback shouldn't have broken his leg? They haven't lost a game. Uh, that's the hardest part to fathom, for me included, about this whole thing. So it's over is the point. After this year, it's the, it's the last year. I think the committee had less incentive than ever to stick to any kind of rigid standard or protocol with this. But the other thing that was thrown about pretty loosely and I think irrationally, but of course I grew up in the South, so I know some of you will disagree, is well, this was just SEC bias. This was the SEC uh, pulling Alabama like a helium balloon to the top of the heap at the 11th hour. Maybe it was. I think there's some Alabama bias built in too. Bias is always spoken in a pejorative context. And in many cases, bias is a totally legitimate thing to think about something that's been consistent in providing the same result over and over and over again. I have Bama bias. I got a pro-Bama bias on this show a lot. I give blind benefit of the doubt to that program a lot. I give blind benefit of the doubt to the SEC a lot. I have pro-SEC bias on this show a lot. You may think to yourself, oh, he's got it. He'll just never admit it. I just did. You need to hear it again. Rewind. I just told you I do. But there's a reason why I do. I got some Oklahoma bias when it comes to softball. Why? Because Patty Gasso just laps the field every year, or it seems that way. And so I'll give her benefit of the doubt. They're going to play UCLA or Alabama or someone like that. I'll give her benefit of the doubt. Why? Because she's proven. I didn't know that I was going to go down the Patty Gasso route tonight, but she's proven. She also earns seven figures a year as a softball coach, which is wild. Hats off to Patty Gasso. But in, uh, in college football, you're absolutely right. There's a little voice in the back of my head that gives benefit of the doubt to the SEC, and especially Georgia or Alabama, if they're the SEC team in the equation. Let me ask you a follow-up question. Why wouldn't I have that? Like, who in their right mind wouldn't have that? Do you think the sport has a reset button where we hit it every spring and everything just returns to neutral? That's, that's not, that, that, that conference still laps you in recruiting every year. 
That conference come NFL draft time laps you every year. Now, that's not the end-all, be-all, and that's not definitive evidence that an Alabama belongs in over a Florida state, but if you think it doesn't matter or it shouldn't matter, I just disagree with you. I'm not going to call you dumb or stupid or crazy. I just disagree with you. If, if I'm looking at a 50-50 proposition, something's got to break a tie, and I think there are a lot more short-sighted things to use than that. And the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about is let's just say it went the other direction. So you're, some of you are upset about Florida State being left out. I'm right there with you, even as I think the proper decision was made. I get it. Like, there's, there's no right path here, and so it sucks for Florida State, and it's very raw. Uh, I'll speak more about this in the coming days because I got some strong thoughts about how, you know what, never mind, forget about the coming days. I'm going to tell you right now, this is about to be a good thing for Florida State long term. It is not fun today, and I'm not trying to cheer you up or turn that frown upside down or anything like that, but you mark my words, it is going to be a good thing long term for Florida State that they got left out of the playoff today. This is going to be a bastardized quote. It's going to be miscontextualized, and someone's going to call it stupid and not have a clue what I'm trying to say. Lock in for about 20 seconds, 30 seconds here. I am telling you, they got left out today, and it's not fun for anyone. They would have gone to the playoff, and it is my opinion, they would have gotten humbled on the field. But they're not going to the playoff. You think that's a bad thing. Just like UCF folks in 2017, they thought it was the end of the world. They didn't make the playoff. Not making the 2017 college football playoff was the best thing to ever happen to UCF athletics. Now, FSU is not trying to establish itself as an entity in college sports. They've long since done that. But I am asking you, what happens if you go to the playoff? Florida State wasn't going to win the national title. So what you were going to have was a net result of what you have right now. You were going to have an ACC championship, an undefeated regular season, and then you would have had a loss on your resume in the playoffs. You would have been able to say you went to the playoffs. Here's what's a lot more important for you. You're going to be able until the end of the time to say you got screwed this year, like Auburn in 04. No one can ever take your assumptions away or your speculation away because we didn't see it on the field. You can go around for all I care and tell folks you would have beaten everyone in the playoff. No one beat you in the regular season. Feel free. But here's what else you're going to do. You're going to be able to package a ton of equity up from this. You're going to be able to convince your organization from now in the foreseeable future that the entire world is out to get you. It, it does wonders to bake in a bunker mentality into the culture of a program when you can sell kids on that and you can sell staffers on that and nutrition and strength and conditioning and recruiting and personnel. You sell all those folks on the idea that Hey, even our best one year wasn't good enough. So you know what in the future we're going to do? In the future, we're going to salt the earth entirely. We are going to lay waste to whoever lines up against us, and we're going to leave no doubt. Because if we leave it in the hands of a committee of people, you've seen what's going to happen. Mike Norvell doesn't even have to pretend. He doesn't have to do like Kirby did last year and convince his kids someone convinced Georgia or thought Georgia was going to go 7-5. and five. People actually did screw Florida State this year. And the other thing, and this is what I'm focused on with Florida State is, while today sucks because you got left out of the playoff, do you realize the most important question in Tallahassee, Florida, has been definitively answered? And that is, do you have the right head coach? You don't have to ask that anymore. Mike Norvell's the man. Mike Norvell's a stud. Mike Norvell is going to have Florida State here for a long time, not going anywhere. They're ranked in the top five in recruiting right now. I don't think there's any program that's put on a better portal clinic than Mike Norvell and his staff. It's obvious even when they lose their quarterback, it's still going to be like crawling over broken glass to beat them. 
a Mike Norvell program moving forward is something we don't have to doubt anymore. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to speculate. The guy's a stud. He's the real deal. And for a long time, you didn't have the ability to say that at Florida State. So, no, it's not fun to get left out. I'm not telling you anything otherwise. It's going to be raw. You, you peel that Band-Aid off, and it's going to hurt for a little while. Mark my words, Florida State will benefit from this down the road a lot more than they would have benefited had they actually made the playoff. And I know that's unpopular to say today, uh, but I think it's reality. One more thing that I want to draw your attention to, and that is what happens when you include Alabama in the playoff. So what I was going to ask you a second ago before I sidetracked my own self irresponsibly was pretend for a second they put FSU in today. So you got Michigan, you got Washington, you got Texas, and you got FSU. How would you have felt about that playoff? I'm not talking to Florida State fans. I'm talking about uh, agnostic fans, just innocent bystanders. How, how would you have felt? Because I'm telling you, I think it would have been an incomplete playoff. I would have thought it to be a little invalidated if you didn't have Georgia or Alabama in there. Even if you don't admit that publicly, there is a part of you that understands, I mean, yeah, Texas won it or Washington won it or whoever won it, but they didn't have to go through the best of the SEC to do it. Uh, that's the way my mind operates. Now, you may not believe that, but it's true. A hundred percent of people inside football buildings and programs understand where the best reside. And to go through and legitimately win a championship, they understand you're probably going to need to go through Bama or Georgia. And if either of those programs are taken out of your path, someone on that committee has done you a huge favor. Now, I've always suggested that on this show, and I've gotten ridicule. Luckily, someone was at the University of Michigan today rolling when Reese Davis and the crew there at ESPN was revealing the top four. So they revealed number one, number two, number three. Then they revealed who number six was. And so Michigan already knows they're locked into the one seed. And Michigan knows this next team, whoever we hear named, that's who we're going to play in the first round. Now, I am suggesting to you that they really hoped they were going to draw Florida State because they'd be a double-digit favorite against Florida State, and Michigan would probably beat Florida State. But if you don't believe me, you don't want to take my word for it, I want uh, Director Colin in there to cue up a piece of video, and I want you to listen to the reaction when Michigan found out they were playing Alabama. Who's number four? That's reality. That's how folks feel. Whether they want to admit it or not, whether you want to act tough on Twitter or on your local message board, folks know you face FSU in this playoff and you're going to probably be able to flex and you're certainly going to feel sky high confident about your chances. You draw that script A or if Georgia had won last night or, or if they put Georgia in, you draw that block G, you got your work cut out for you. Okay, so that's why I would have felt it was an illegitimate playoff had the SEC not been represented. I'm looking forward to it, though. Let's roll on. Fairly lengthy segment there, I would say, but I had a lot to say. I think all of you have had a lot to say. I would like you to do me a small favor and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Because this show is free, and the way we keep it free is subscribing to the channel and the podcast. Alabama beat Georgia 27-24 last night. We were on the field for this one. Instant classic in Atlanta. Uh, top three college football environment that I've been in. Just Big game programs going at it, man. 
I told you there was a feeling in the South, and there always is when these two meet, that it is a national championship game. And by, by that, I mean the winner thinks they're going to go on to win the national title. Both teams feel that way, by the way. Like I can tell you, Georgia left Mercedes-Benz Stadium last night the exact same way that Bama looked at Georgia last year when they didn't get to play them. They are thinking they're going to go win the title because we didn't stop them. Like we didn't get in the way and do something about it. They're going to go win a title. Uh, whether that happens remains to be seen. Unbelievable atmosphere. I think I met like half of our audience last night in Atlanta. So um, I got to tell you something. I would love to take credit. And yes, I did pick Bama to win the game. But uh, I, I said something really dumb, really stupid. So earlier this year, I didn't have producer Jesse pull the video because this is already bad enough. Uh, earlier this year, around week three, I came on the air and I said, I'm not backing off my championship prediction. I'm still picking Bama to win the SEC this year, but I'm telling you their coaching staff's not good enough. Like their coaching staff is so down and I'm so wrong. It's just, I said, it was so stupid to say because this is one of the best coaching jobs not only Saban's done, but his staff has worked their tail off. Like Eric Wolford, that offensive line, what they've been now versus what they were. Uh, look at T-Rob's secondary. You got Kool-Aid goes down in an SEC championship game last night. They got Trey Amos, ULL transfer, just ready to come in. They throw right at him with Bowers, pass breakup, had another big pass breakup on the sideline. Think about how the hiring of Tommy Reese as OC and Kevin Steele as DC were received. And then look at those two units right now and look at how much they've improved. Kevin Steele has got... Alabama's defense, with some of the same players who underwhelmed last year playing outside their minds, they allowed 78 rushing yards to Georgia yesterday with a banged-up defensive front, if they're being honest. Uh, Freddie Roach, that defensive line, like those guys have coached their tails off, and you had someone like me dumb enough to say at the beginning of the year, I just don't know if the quality of the coaching staff is there. Well, I was wrong, dead wrong, uh, because it is there. And Nick Saban's getting a lot of credit, and he should get a lot of credit but man, if you've listened to Saban talk, and he did it again last night, he's deflected a lot of that, and he's made special sure to dole out praise publicly to his staff because he knows they had to course correct on the fly. Like, they had to course correct midseason this year. Last night, I think the most glaring thing to me was Georgia could not run the ball on Alabama because Georgia was the second most physical team on the field. I think a lot of you hear that and you say, oh, that's pretty impressive to do that. No, it's out of this world to be able to take a Kirby smart team and to be able to make them the second most physical team on the field is one of the hardest things to do in college football. Nobody does it. You may mess around and you could upset Georgia by having them be minus three turnovers or you go 14 score on special teams or you smoke and mirror your way to a victory. But you're not going to out-physical them. And I'm not telling you it was done in a landslide last night because that's impossible. Uh, Bama was the more physical team. And that surprised me. It really surprised me. And it is yet another testament to that coaching staff that Georgia hangs 78 rushing yards. And listen, Georgia did a great job. I fought against Alabama running the ball. I mean, Bama had under three yards per carry. Bama was three of 13 on third downs. Those stat categories... Uh, don't light the world on fire. In fact, if I tell you that Friday, you may think those are padlock stats that indicate a Georgia victory is coming. And then if I tell you Jalen Milrow is going to be held without a pass 
of more than 30 yards in a game for the first time this year, then you really think, Georgia's got this thing, unless catastrophe strikes. And uh, Bama still found a way to win. And they found a way to win because they shut down the ground game, and Georgia doesn't have difference makers at receiver. And if they did, it would be Ladd McConkie and Brock Bowers, both of whom played at less than 100% last night. In fact, I would argue far less than 100% in the case of McConkie. Uh, Warriors effort for either of those guys to be on the field last night, by the way. Like, Kirby was dead serious with you last week when he talked about the health status of those guys. But uh, the first thing that I, I wanted to go back to there is uh, J- Jalen Milrow is just an incredible story, man. Jalen Milrow comes into this season, has a really nightmarish game against Texas. We were there when that game happened in week two. Week three, he's benched. I told you at the time that I thought there were portions of Alabama's team that gave far less than 100% effort that afternoon, largely in protest of him being benched. And I think I'm right about that. And if you go back and you look at the effort that those guys gave against USF, and then you fast forward to now, those look like total different human beings. And they're not. They're the same humans. But it is a different team. When they say that about Bama, now they're right. It is a different team. Players will tell you who the starting quarterback is, and they were telling you, even after that Texas game, he's the guy who gives us the best chance to win. Locker room largely knows which guy gives them the best chance to win. You can play favorites in spring. You can have your boy that you like to hang out with more in summer. But come fall camp, and especially come the season, your friend at quarterback is the one that gives you the best chance to be a winner. Because no one wants their buddy leading them to a 6-6 six and six season. And Jalen Milrow has been the guy, and those players knew it, that was going to give Alabama the best chance to win. And they laid, some of them laid down against USF. And then they got him back, and they've surged largely ever since. They have surged, and now it's a totally different looking team. Milrow was the most important player in this game last night, I think. And he didn't light the world on fire. He didn't have a single pass more than 30 yards, first time all year. You know, things like that shovel pass on third down to, I think, Isaiah Bond that kept that drive alive, just, it, it is, it's unquantifiable how much value there was on that play. Just like on the last drive, when they need to melt clock and he rips off 40, 50-yard run and falls down inbounds, you can't know. I, I just know that it was one of the deciding moments in the game. He got sacked, what was it, Jesse, four times, I think, last night. Didn't give the ball away. Uh, threw a couple that could have been picked, but they weren't. And that's another one of the hidden, unquantifiable moments, several moments from these games. Beck threw two or three balls that should have been picked. Milrow threw a couple of balls that shouldn't have been picked. If either team has DBs with good hands last night, either one of them could have won double-digit victories. Either one of them could have, because that's how small the margins are when teams like this play, or like these play. Uh, Speaking of the secondary, and speaking to T-Rob, who's the DB coach there, and is doing an incredible job this year, by the way. Like the single most noticeable facet of Alabama's defense that's just on a different level this year is their secondary contests everything. You may complete passes on them, but there are very rarely guys running wide open. They play as physical as I've seen an Alabama secondary play in a while, and they got quality depth. And you saw a future first-round draft pick at corner go down last night. Kool-Aid goes down, concussed. And Trey Amos comes in off the bench, and I know he's a guy they consider to be a starter, but he is not a guy at all who's been thrust into that kind of position. And Mike Bobo and that Georgia offensive staff, they're down in the red zone. They go right at him first play, and he breaks up a pass to Bowers and played phenomenally. 
you otherwise never would have even known he was in the game, which is one of the biggest compliments that you can give to a defensive back. But I was just selfishly, you know, I'm looking at him. I'm kind of happy for him because I remember when we were talking about transfer portal last year and, you know, we're doing our rankings and we're talking about Travis Hunter goes here. We're talking about Fentrell Cypress. Those were some of the top rated corners, good players. We didn't talk about Trey Amos a whole lot. He was a kid from the, from the Sun Belt and he comes up to Alabama and Look, they thought he was going to be a good depth provider, was about the extent of the coverage you got on him. And there you are, SEC championship game. And he's thrust into action and is one of the players of the game. It was, a, it was an incredible night for Alabama. Uh, for that program, I know it's validation. Um, I'm, I'm down there a few weeks ago. I go work out in their weight room, and David Ballou's in there. He's a strength and conditioning coach. And I talked to him probably for an hour uh, just about philosophy, how you constantly have to be on the cutting edge, how you tweak this and you tweak that. And he was just candid about some things he felt like they had fallen short in years past. And here's what we do to address it. Imagine being him standing on that field and watching your team physically lean forward on Georgia. No one else does that. And so it's just folks are always working. Georgia's a monster. Like Georgia's an incredible program. To me, I'll shift gears here for a second. I'll talk about Kirby. I got a ton of time to talk about Kirby. Georgia's a monster. They're not going anywhere. I mean, they'll be here a decade from now in all likelihood. To me, the most impressive part of this was, yeah, Georgia ended up coming up short in the SEC championship game, but they were there, undefeated again, with a massive target on their back. You got two straight years of winning titles, and you have consequences of success that people don't think exist. A casual would tell you, the more you win, the easier it gets. In reality, it's the total opposite. And one of the biggest things you fight is complacency most of the time. The most impressive part of this year for Georgia is I didn't, I didn't sense a whiff of that. Now, you're not guaranteed. It's not your birthright to win just because you prepare. And <clears throat> sorry about that. You got talented players. But that's not the reason they lost. And so like I, I think Kirby and Georgia deserve a ton of credit for that. I'm going to take a sip right quick, Colin. And the eyes got watery, too. That, ugh. Emergency Mio. And we got coffee just in case. So an incredible SEC championship game. Blessed to have been there. Um, I, I don't really want to do the coaching comparison thing. Like, Kirby's one of the best in the game. Saban's the best that I've ever seen do it. Saban's the best that anyone's ever seen do it. But a lot of you doubted that the guy at Alabama still has his fastball. I don't think that fell on deaf ears in that organization this last week. I'm just going to leave it at that. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors. Man, they uh, oh, they had a presence next to Georgia and Alabama. The Academy Sports and Outdoors presence was the most massive brand at SEC Championship Saturday. Uh, they, those folks were everywhere, even like up on the big ribbon board. And uh, they certainly make our show free to you, and we appreciate it. Uh, tailgating needs, Academy. Spring sports around the corner, Academy. Uh, you need a basketball hoop for the driveway for Christmas, Academy. We're still in the process of gathering emails for those of you who can prove that we were the number one show in your Spotify wrapped season end podcast listing this year. 
Academy is, through us, giving away $150 gift cards, which is pretty absurd. Uh, but they're doing it. So we always appreciate Academy. If you can't get there in person, if you can't check out an Academy store in person, academy.com, they will hook you up. And we, we are eternally grateful to them for all they do for our show. All right. I don't know what happened, man. It felt like my voice was going and then my eyes started watering. That's unprofessional. But we move on. We got like 11, what, what 11,000 people watching live right now. Hey, just do me a favor. This is it. Just subscribe. Nothing happens, I promise you. Nothing happens. We're not going to spam you. In fact, it's a YouTube subscription, so we don't even know what your email address is. Subscribe to the channel, and that's all it takes. Having Academy on board and you subscribing is all it takes for us to keep this show free. I got an email. Uh, well, I got a tweet, I guess, and that's like the modern-day email that I wanted to show you, and I wanted to respond to it. I think it's time. Speaking of ripping Band-Aids off, I think it's time for me. Uh, my voice is okay. I'm just delaying by taking this sip of coffee. But here we go. I, I hope you guys are watching in the Pacific Northwest. Isaiah from Denver, Colorado. He asks, are we finally ready? Not we. He didn't say we. Are you finally ready to admit you've been wrong about Washington all along? Yep. I'm ready, Isaiah. I was wrong about Washington. I think we were wrong all along about Washington. I've seen him in person twice this year, both times against Oregon. I thought Oregon was going to beat him both times. One time it was a pretty evenly played game. Dare I say, I may have even leaned Oregon a little bit, but there was no doubt. And I flew out to Vegas and watched this game from field level Friday night, no doubt. In fact, I think a lot of people, myself included, were surprised at how thoroughly Washington outplayed Oregon the other night. There is a scratch on our lens every year. I have the model sitting right here uh, to my immediate right. And we, you know, we do power ratings on every team. And I could generate you a, a hypothetical point spread right now if Washington were to play Nebraska. I could tell you exactly what our model would think. And I can tailor it to situationals. And I can tailor it to weather and, and the time of day and venue. And the model's very good, man. We have profited seven years in a row using this thing to bet. So it, it's very good. It is very razor sharp dialed in on this sport, but it is not without flaw. And every year it seems like there's one scratch on the lens. There's one fly in the ointment. This year it was Washington. And it's a credit, it's a testament to Kalen DeBoer. Dude's the real deal. And one of the surest signs that you can tell your guy's the real deal is if someone like us happens to be using a model that has been time-tested and calibrated using what is normal in the sport as its baseline, and you're plugged into it, and the expectations it has for you, you keep surpassing. That means there's a little something extra under the hood that the naked eye doesn't see. And that's what they have at Washington right now. Uh, it's just an unbelievable job they're doing up there. And that Oregon game, look, here's what surprised me. I never thought they were going to outrush Oregon. They, um, they outrushed him. Oregon had a massive third down edge on paper. It looked like they had a massive third down edge. Washington held them to 3 of 10. Washington was 10 of 15. Washington responded to a 21-0 run Oregon had at a certain point in the game. Like These are things I didn't think were going to happen, and yet it did. And my interaction with, Oregon, with the Washington fans has been so interesting this year. Now, some... Some have just been mean, but that's okay because I, I kind of get it. I may feel the same if I were you guys, but others 
especially Friday night, I probably had one or two dozen interactions with Washington fans where the fan trashed the model, but then made sure to specify, hey, I'm, I'm just trashing the model. I like you, okay, you're fine. I'm just talking about the model. And that, kids, is why you have to have a model. And even if you don't, you have to pretend you do, because then the model can take all the blame, and you're left to gobble up the credit. And Meemaw taught me that a long time ago. Okay, be in the credit business, not the blame business. Find an apparatus, or if you need several, find apparati that can absorb the blame. Now, I didn't make the model up. It is real over here. And it, next to management, it's one of the best shields I have around this place. Washington's going to the playoff. And Washington is going to fly all the way down to New Orleans, Louisiana. I would imagine not many kids on that roster have spent New Year's Eve and New Year's Day in the French Quarter, but they're going to. Business trip, of course. Uh, but they are going to play Texas. And you know what? It's right in their wheelhouse again. I was talking to producer Jesse. He says, man, they got to they gotta fly all the way down to New Orleans. No, they get to. They get to fly completely under the radar. That place will be slammed with Texas folks. The media contingent will be like 90 to 10, Texas to Washington. Washington's a four and a half point dog. Washington can throw the football. And Texas, at times, struggles to stop it. And it is... Already, according to some of the more sharp-minded Texas folks amongst us in the building, it is already a matchup that has them concerned. But you know who's not going to be concerned? A majority of the country. Because a majority of the country will project Texas to win this, and it'll be Texas versus question mark in the national title game. And we'll break the game down later, not tonight. I think it's a game in Washington's wheelhouse. So I know most of you guys want me to keep picking against you, and maybe I will. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see where things go there. They're watching us in Frostburg, Maryland, Ackworth, Georgia, and Madisonville, Louisiana. Thank you so much for that. Speaking of the opponent that Washington has drawn in the playoff, I think my eyes are getting a little droopy. So let me take a sip of coffee, which is room temperature at this point. Texas. What are we about to do with Texas? Jesse, was this a Twitter question, or did we just want to talk about Texas? I can't even remember. Okay. Jesse said, just talk about them. Um, I'm doing the, the whale breach sound a little bit because my nose is stuffy. That's the thing where I go, and Bradley and Jesse said it sounds like when a whale comes up for air. He says, well, I'm sorry. It's a solo show. I don't have anyone to fill while I go blow my nose. So instead, you get... Texas is a really interesting team to watch right now because the progression has been something that everyone tried to, not everyone, the Texas progression has been something that there were deniers of. And the thing about that is, if you were denying that Texas was a legitimate contender in the preseason, many of you have not come around yet. So remember, back in August, I guess, is when we did our predictions, I, I wasn't alone, but I picked Texas to go to the playoff. I picked them to win the Big 12. They have done both things. And I'm listening to a lot of our old shows, and I noticed a familiar theme that had emerged, and it's not totally gone away, but it's on life support. And that theme was the can't versus the haven't crowd had, had gotten their, their wording mixed up, and there were a lot of people who should have been saying 
Sark hasn't done this, and Texas hasn't done that. But instead, they were saying, Sark can't make the playoff. Texas can't win big again. Texas can't be back. Well, none of those things were ever true. It's just Sark hadn't had a successful run as a head coach. Sark hadn't gotten Texas to the playoff yet. Well, now he's in one, and they have. So, so what are we going to say? Can't happen now. They can't win a championship. You know, Michigan, once upon a time, Harbaugh and Michigan couldn't get over the Ohio State hump. Then they did. Well, Michigan can't make the playoff. Well, they did. Well, then Michigan loses a couple of first-round playoff games. So now we build up to Michigan versus Alabama. I'm sure I'll hear some people say, Michigan can't win a playoff game. They haven't. That's all, man. They haven't won a playoff game. There are, there's another thing that I heard and had just utter disdain for back in August. I picked Texas to go to the playoff, and I, sure enough, here they come, casuals out of the woodwork. Y'all always do this. Y'all, y'all always build Texas up. Y'all, y'all, who's y'all? Just because we're talking about Texas, don't think you're hip to the nomenclature down there. Y'all don't do anything. I hadn't picked them to go to the playoff. I don't always do this with them. The things I was saying about Texas in August were being said out of my mouth for the first time because I had never thought Texas to be a legitimate contender like I did this year until now. So it's not, not a monolith. Sports media is not a monolith. Uh, someone over there, like uh, Ross Dellinger, could say something, and I disagree with it, or vice versa. And it's not like one size fits all here. So, so I am both not surprised that Texas is in the playoff, uh, but I am both, su- I'm not surprised, but, but I also, I don't think that the doubters have a proper appreciation for what's going on here. I think Texas folks kind of get it because you're, you're wired into your program day to day. Why is Texas winning? Because of culture and approach. Like that, that's what they've gotten down there. I know people didn't think that would be the case because I think there was this myth, and it always was a myth, that Texas has got too big a booster problem. Texas got too many cooks in the kitchen to ever have a sound culture. No, they just didn't hire the right guy. So Sark's the right guy. You know how I know that? Because those aren't issues anymore that anybody's talking about. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not a unique and challenging job. It just means the right guy's doing it. Hey, Bama was a very challenging job. And then some dude comes from the Dolphins, and they're winning. And no one talks about the struggle of coaching at Alabama. Bama's just as hard to coach at now as when Saban got there. They're a unique set of circumstances that surround several programs. The right guy will make them almost invisible because he overcomes them. So Steve Sarkeesian's in Alabama and sees Nick Saban do it that way, probably had a big influence on him. He goes to Texas. They've got the perfect blend to me of recruiting and portal approach. Uh, Their foundation will always be built out of high school football players, and then they will supplement with your occasional A.D. Mitchells via the portal. They have got great quarterback depth, and that's imperative for an obvious reason. But let me hit you with another little thought. Quarterback depth is important now, not just because ooh, our guy could go down for a series, or we could lose our guy for the season. But also, if you do lose your starter for the season, if Quinn Ewers had gone down for the season, you know what you would have had around Texas? You would have had Texas not dropping in the rankings at all because there's a ton of hype around Malik Murphy, and there's a ton of hype around Arch Manning. And whether the hype is legitimate or not, forget that. Playoff committee doesn't know the difference. Playoff committee would simply know this dude's really hyped. 
this guy was a former five-star, number one overall player in the country. We're not going to knock Texas because unlike the Florida State situation, we believe in Texas's backup quarterback situation. That's why it's really important to have depth at the quarterback position. And, and let me give you guys a piece of advice, which is counterintuitive to everything you've ever been taught about this game. Hype your backups and don't shoot down the hype when it starts to build on message boards. Now, there could be diminishing returns on that, and you could, get, you, you could have a situation where backup gets a big head and his dad gets a big head if, if it's not already big enough because his son's a quarterback at the college level, and they believe their press clippings and they, held, they head elsewhere. Yes, that's a risk you already run anyway. It doesn't hurt you as much as it used to to have that hype, that subculture of hype, because the better the public thinks your backup is, the more likely they are to blindly assume that he's that good if worst comes to worst and you have to use him. And if you can win your football games with your backup, what just happened to Florida State may not happen to you. So Texas got that figured out. But also, Texas portals well. They recruit exceptionally well. They've got great quarterback depth, and that'll never be an issue for them under Sark. And organizationally, they've got the right mentality. This is the biggest battle you fight in organizations and college athletics. No different. You can think the right way all you want to. Can you put your mentality into an entire organization? Can you open up the minds of 19-year-old kids and plant a different way of thinking in there? Can you get adults who have otherwise not thought that way, person to person, and get them to think a different way than they've thought for 30, 40, or 50 years. Can you do that in mass? If you can, then you're one of the very few who are capable of it. And Steve Sarkeesian has shown he can do it. That's why Texas is not going to fade away. There, there is no flash in the pan risk here. Just like at Florida State, Norvell's got it figured out. It's always going to be tough to win. There's no guarantee he'll ever win a title. There's no guarantee Sark will ever win a title. But I feel very confident in saying that Norvell and Florida State are going to be in the mix for the foreseeable future. And I feel very confident in saying Sark and Texas are going to be in the mix in the foreseeable future. And you know what? There are aspects of the sport that are steadily coming to them. Like the, the portal's only going to help teams in Texas and Florida. NIL is only going to help teams in Texas and Florida. And you add on to the fact that you got a stud as a football coach in Mike Norvell or Steve Sarkeesian. I, I have thought that there has been alignment and kind of a, a parallel synergy, if you will, between these two programs for a while. Norvell's just a year ahead of Sark. So Norvell had two very, very struggle-type years, and people questioned him. And then the third year it clicked, and now you see he's off to the races. And I thought Steve Sarkeesian, year one at Texas was what it was. They failed to make a bowl game. Year two, they go from 5-7 and seven to, I think, 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. But people still said, oh, that's not good enough, just because we didn't meet what Polster said we should do in the preseason, but, but lost on that was the fact he improved. And I remember in the preseason saying, you know what I think may happen? What may happen is Sark turns into the next Norvell. Because, of course, people are done questioning Mike Norvell. Well, you're done questioning Steve Sarkeesian now, too. He was just about 12 months behind Mike Norvell. And so there's a lot of parallel synergy between these two programs, and I think it's several layers deep. It's, it's a shame on that hand that they won't meet in the playoff this year. But um, good for Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, I got to talk to you about SEC bias in just a second. Like that's, 
that's how I'm choosing to wrap the show tonight. Because a lot of you are talking about SEC bias, so I did want to hit that. Uh, we had a good day yesterday, man. SMU, plus four and a half. I went and bet that on FanDuel. One outright. Went and bet Alabama, plus six and a half. These were Ramen Noodle Express best bets, by the way. I went and bet that on FanDuel. One outright. I was locked on the FanDuel app this morning, kind of like I am during an election night, because I am fascinated by the odds market for the playoff. So as late as 10 minutes and five minutes before the playoff show this morning, you could bet. And, and I'm watching FSU's odds and Alabama's odds, and sure enough, there comes the swing. I don't know if anyone knew anything, but I, 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 I made myself a sizable chunk of money this morning just betting FSU and Alabama yeses and noes will they make the playoff in the prop market at the right time. And uh, FanDuel was the spot, man. So FanDuel uh, has partnered with us. They have become the exclusive odds provider of Late Kick. We are ecstatic to have them on board. I think we have just like er, scratched the surface this year of what we'll be capable of with them next year. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about functionality. Okay, I'm talking about a show that isn't just, hey, go bet on FanDuel because they're, they're partners with us. Anybody can do that. I want FanDuel integrated into this show in a way that benefits you, not just in special offers or anything, but like you learn something. We can go to them and they provide us tools that make you sharper and make you better and, and they can be woven in as content pieces in the show. The good news is I've met with them about all this and they're on board with it and they watch the show like they get it. We deal with people at FanDuel that know this show in and out. So I think that Next year in college football season, we'll have a product second to none uh, with FanDuel. Looking forward to that. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800 800- 327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Okay, so I wanted to uh, broach a topic. It's not the first time we've ever talked about it on Late Kick, but I do want to talk about it once more. Jesse, Colin, show me the tweet, if you will. It comes from a Joshua, no less. I'll actually forget the coffee. I'll need to sit from the chalice for this. <sighs> Let me tell you one more story. Leave the tweet up. It's fine, Colin. Uh, actually, Colin, do me a favor, because I may, I may clip this later, depending on how ridiculous it is. So take the tweet down for a second. We'll put it back up in a second. 
I have a flaw and it is called leg cramps. And when I get one, they are terrible. I get the migraines of leg cramps. So some people out there have migraines. I've never had one. I don't pretend to know how bad a migraine is. I just know if someone says, I think I have a migraine, you don't have a migraine because there's no doubting if you actually have a migraine. So in muscular cramp terms, I get migraine cramps. They are the worst cramps ever. I have to collapse to the ground. None of this is made up, sadly. And uh, it, it'll either be a quad or a hamstring. And do not sit there and tell me, oh, I know what a leg cramp feels like. I've had one before. Not like these, you haven't. Just trust me on this. And I have to crawl to the shower and I have to run scalding hot water on my muscles to get them to loosen or else I'm done. And even then, my muscles have tightened to the point where there is soreness and pain for days afterwards. Like, they're not normal muscle cramps. Well, anyway, I'm on a flight the other night, and I think you know where this is going. I'm on a flight from Las Vegas to Atlanta. It's an overnight, so my plan is, let me get a couple hours sleep. I start to doze off. It's, it's great. They've got the lights turned down. You got the Delta, so it's blue mood lighting on the top. Perfect conditions for a couple of hours nap. I turn, I position, boom, there it goes, leg cramp. And I have to jump up out of my seat as quickly as I can, which when it happens on a flight and it's two o'clock in the morning, gets misconstrued as this dude's about to skyjack the plane. So I had to calm everyone down and make them at ease with the fact that no, 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 don't worry, it's just a muscle cramp. It does happen. And then I had to do straight leg bends for about 10 minutes, uh, and I did not collapse to the floor. Luckily, I got myself upright in time, but that was part one. That was a nightmare. It took over an hour to get the cramp out. No, no rest was had on the flight. So then we get to Atlanta, and I go straight from the airport to the hotel, just enough time to shower. We go from the hotel to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and we did pregame coverage for the SEC championship game. So I'm there with Uncle Dennis, to my left, Emily Proud to my right, I'm in the middle, and there's a little table in front of us. We're sitting in director's chairs. We got a minute before we're going to go on air. Boom. Same leg, same muscle, cramps again. I am done. And I have to extend my leg. Like, there, there, is, there is footage of this. We had to come on air, and I have one leg bent like a normal person, and I have my other leg totally straightened out like a psychopath or perhaps a pirate with a wooden leg. And I had to talk like nothing was going on. And here was the problem. I have self-diagnosed, just like I did with food poisoning down in Jacksonville. I drank too much caffeine and not enough water. And I think that yours truly was a little dehydrated. The reason I say that is because as I was turning there, I almost picked my leg up beneath the table. But then I thought better of it. So I'm just sitting with my legs just dangling off the chair right now. I look like a kid in the park, not a care in the world. But in reality, I'm just scared to move. So we got one more segment here. And uh, Bradley, be on standby with some water, perhaps a banana, if it's organic. Yeah, no, I'm not management. Bring me the chemical lace banana. It's fine. SEC bias. Okay. All right, Colin, bring the tweet back. I saw it five minutes ago. Bring the tweet back. Joshua, love the name, he hit me up and, and uh, he said, why give SEC teams benefit of the doubt? when the conference was way down this year from Coppell, Texas. Well, how do you know the conference was down this year, Joshua? Now, he can't speak, so I'm going to speak for him. 
he would probably say, well, I got the evidence. And I would say, what is your evidence? He would say, oh, their out-of-conference head-to-head record was terrible. And I would say, I don't care. What else do you have? And he would sit there in silence. And he would say, well, that's all I need. That's the most important stat. Why? Danny Cannell told me so. And I would say, dude, do you really want to use that logic? And even he would say, yeah, you're right. That's terrible logic. Let me do something better. And he would really, he would disagree with me. Like we would be at an impasse. I don't care about your conference's head-to-head out-of-conference record, ever. When the SEC dominates in it, I don't care. Just like I don't care about your bowl record. When the SEC dominates in it, I don't care. This is not a a pro or anti-SEC argument. It is basic logic. I don't care. Here's why I don't care. Because there has never been in the history of college football a system where I take the number one team in the SEC and the number one team in the ACC and number four versus number four, and number seven versus number seven, and have an equally seeded tournament where one conference faces another. And just down the board, eight versus eight, 10 versus 10, 12 versus 12, that would be wonderful. And it would give me definitive conclusions and proof about one conference's superiority over another. But that's not what we do. We have just random matchups, and we have, therefore, a situation where for all I know, my top six could play your bottom six, and I'd go 6-0, and oh, and I could tout, if I wanted to be intellectually dishonest, my superiority over you as a conference. Well, in reality, it means nothing. It means nothing. It's just like, for example, I watched at the end of the year, if I wanted to be selective, I watched half of the ACC championship, Louisville, go get beat by Kentucky, middle-of-the-road SEC team. I watched your champion, Florida State struggle mightily to beat Florida, a team that didn't even make a bowl game. Now, Josh, well, Florida State was playing with their backup quarterback. Yeah, so was Florida, dude. So if I wanted to be selective, I can make your conference sound like utter trash by saying that. I don't because I don't care about it. Never have cared about it. It's not situational. I've never cared about it. The question, though, was about why the SEC should get benefit of the doubt. Because they're better than you. Because they're a better conference. That's why they should get benefit of the doubt. Like, who else is going to get benefit of the doubt? This is not popular. A lot of you don't want to hear this. But just because you're not popular, or just because an argument is not popular, doesn't make it any less true. There is a conference out there that's been superior on the field for a long time. There is a conference that's producing more NFL players, that recruits at a higher level, that portals at a higher level. Like, all the discernible metrics out there that are front forward facing indications of success, the SEC dominates them. Why wouldn't I give them benefit of the doubt? What? Everyone asks, a lot of people ask me that question why should the SEC get benefit of the doubt? And I ask, like, why shouldn't they? Uh, so we, we saw today, we saw Bama make it in, and I'm, I'm assuming that's what brought this on. And a lot of people said, well, there's Bama benefiting from SEC bias. And I don't know what you want me to say. Because if that is what happened, I don't have a problem with it. So I was born in Columbus, Georgia. I was born in Columbus. I grew up in Harris County. Uh, which, which, of course, makes me blind and an SEC homer. And so I can't possibly be right on this. But I think I am. So I, I will tout the ACC to no end when they deserve credit. And at times this year, they did deserve credit. But... If you think the evidence 
or, or if your argument for Florida State being in over Alabama boiled down to the ACC had a better head-to-head conference record against the SEC, uh, that is a garbage argument. Or if your evidence that Alabama shouldn't have been in was because they they won the SEC, but it was a down year, and your evidence that the SEC being down is that, like that's the best you can do, just your argument's not good enough. And it's not my fault. I could argue. You know, I, I'm fairly certain that I would flunk out of law school because it sounds boring. But I do think I have the God-given ability to be a good lawyer. And I guarantee you, I could, I could make a very, very good argument for Florida State being in the playoff. Uh, because I believe a lot of it, actually. I do kind of think they got jilted, although I also believe Bama should have been in. So I don't know what that really brings us to. But I don't like it doesn't always mean this isn't right. A lot of things can happen that are sound, that are right, that are just, that you don't like. Uh, there's this thing that happens mainly on the internet, but in some cases real life too, where if, if, if someone says something that you disagree with, it's clickbait or it's disingenuous. Uh, they're, just, they're just trying to stir up controversy. It could just be that they think what they said and you disagree with it. That could be it. Uh, there's another thing that happens where if you get an outcome you don't like, and I, I call this the on-demandening of society, if you get an outcome you don't like, it has to be rigged. The fix had to be in. Someone has to be out to get you. In reality, in this case, I don't think it was any of those things. I just think that a committee full of people looked and said, Bama belongs in over Florida State. That's what I think happened. So SEC bias, if it was in the room, there's a reason for it to be in the room, is all I'll say. And I, you can't prove that that was what pulled Alabama over the finish line. I gave you my theory. I thought that the outcome you got today was it was kind of skewed and made to look radical. Oh, number eight jumped all the way to number four. Bama should never have been number eight, guys. They baked in their expectations. They never thought they were going to have this mess on their hands. They, they thought it was going to sort itself out just like I did. And I was wrong. And they were wrong. And all of a sudden they looked at, uh-oh, Florida State didn't lose, did they? Uh-oh, Washington won. So we can't boot the Pac-12 out and... Oh, Bama won. Oh, wow. That's where they were today. That's the long and short of it. Uh, Bama probably should have been five or six, somewhere like that, to where them bumping up to number four didn't look quite as, cra- or quite as crazy. Uh, Texas probably should have been a little bit higher as well. But anyway, SEC bias is only going to grow stronger if by bias you mean blind benefit of the doubt sometimes being given to a conference that's just been utterly dominant in most of your lifetimes. If you believe that's what bias is, yeah, it's going to be there. It's it's not going anywhere. A lot of people have just assumed, well, if it's not going anywhere, I'm going to go join the SEC. Oh, hey, by the way, another theory. I think there's going to be a fair, healthy amount of Big Ten bias at the table in the near future. Something about having a ton of really good teams in your conference tends to do that. I don't know. So probably not going anywhere. If you're an anti-SEC or Big Ten bias kind of guy or girl, Probably not going to be the sport for you for the foreseeable future. I do think this is the show for you, though. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, If you haven't already, not only would I like you to like the video and subscribe to the channel, but it is the holiday season. I know a lot of you are into electronics. So purchase that cell phone for mom. Purchase that laptop for your cousin. Just make sure... 
as you're setting it up for them, and you log them into YouTube for the first time, or you open Spotify or Apple Podcasts for the first time, and you show them how to use it, make part of the tutorial subscribing to this channel. That's, that's what the holiday spirit's all about, after all. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.